Warning, this issue of Nil Desperandum is rated R for adult content, adult situations, strong language, and possible intellectual stimulation. Listener discretion is advised. Nil Desperandum 4, An Occidental Book of the Dead, by J. Michael Schell. This is part three, the conclusion of an Occidental Book of the Dead. If you missed parts one and two, please go back and listen to those first. Some paths really must be followed. An Occidental Book of the Dead by J. Michael Schell. Part three, Heaven Sent. Consciousness grabbed Malcolm and shook, causing him to jump to his feet. When he did, he noticed he was standing once again on that endless grassy plain. You've got to be kidding, he said out loud. Damn all this grass. As soon as the words were out of his mouth, the ground began to shake. All around him in the distance, he could see a dark wave undulating toward him, as if he'd been a pebble thrown into a pond, and his ripples were coming back to haunt him. When those waves converged on Malcolm, he was bounced up into the air. When he came back down, it wasn't onto grass, but asphalt. The field had become a parking lot, stretching into infinity. Not far from where he stood, Malcolm saw something lying on the pavement. On closer inspection, it turned out to be a snake, which looked up at him and said, You've been here ten seconds, and you've managed to pave over paradise. Nice work, asshole. Who are you? Malcolm asked, somewhat at a loss for something to say to a snake. You don't know me? I'm famous for crying out loud. You never heard of the snake in the grass? Of course, I don't have any grass right now, thank you very much. Well, I'm sorry about that, Mal began. Ever crawled on your belly over asphalt? The snake said, interrupting him. Do you know how hot this shit gets? Look, Malcolm said. Maybe I can get the grass back if... Screw it, the snake said, not letting him finish again. Just give me a body like yours and we'll be even. Malcolm laughed. Right, he said. And how do you propose I do that? You're the king, aren't you? Make it happen. You didn't seem to have any problem blacktopping my habitat in no time at all. That was a slip of the tongue, Malcolm told him. Carry me then, the snake insisted. Not on a bet, Malcolm insisted right back. First chance you get, you'll bite me. And when I ask you why you bit me, you'll say, Hey, you knew I was a snake. You can call that a proverb or you can call it a joke. But either way, you keep your distance or I'll put my heel to your head. Damn, the snake exclaimed. Woke up a little surly, didn't we? Look, at least make me a boy. That way you'd still be bigger than me. Fine, Malcolm told him obviously losing his temper. You're a boy. Immediately, the snake began morphing into a human shape. Apparently, it was painful, because the snake screamed as arms and legs writhed out of its body. As hideous as the scene was, Malcolm watched it, transfixed, until a boy lay panting on the parking lot. When the snake finally stood up in its new body, it said, I don't suppose you could have made that any more painful. Open your mouth, Malcolm said. 
unmoved by the snake's protests of pain. Open my mouth. I want to see if you still have fangs. Open. The snake boy obeyed, revealing a set of functional, but quite human, teeth. Happy? The snake asked. Ecstatic, Malcolm answered. What's your name? I am Seadu, but you can call me Sig. Sig? As in snake in grass? Hey, I'm a kid. Give me a break. You heading back to see the queen? Queen? Malcolm asked, his attention caught. Yeah, Queen Annie. She's been waiting for you. I don't know what you're doing out here, but I'll tell you this. If I had a queen and she looked like that, I wouldn't let her out of my sight. Having had my ear to the ground, so to speak, I've heard she's been doing a little entertaining while you've been away. She's been going through boys like I go through belly scales crawling on asphalt. You really are a snake in the grass, aren't you? Malcolm said. I guess you can make a boy out of a snake, but you can't take the snake out of the boy. Sig laughed. Take me to the queen, Malcolm commanded. Her castle's right in there, Sig pointed. When Malcolm turned toward where Seadu was pointing, he found himself staring at a hoary old forest. Malcolm insisted that Seadu lead the way, which was as long and winding as it had been when this forest grew on the other side of the fence. This time, however, Malcolm did not grow faint. The snake had said Queen Annie, which did not sound promising, but Malcolm had seen Anna rising into this star and knew she was here. Snakes and forests and Amine be damned, he would find her. His determination was fierce and tinged with anger. As they circled about on that serpentine path, Seadu made many proposals, aimed at advancing his personal position in the kingdom. I am, after all, leading the king on a quest, he went on. You should knight me for this. Forget it, Malcolm told him, pushing past the overhanging limbs and branches. A page, then, at least. If you don't shut up, I'll put you back on that asphalt as a snake and send a couple of steamrollers to visit you. Asshole, Seadu muttered. I beg your pardon, Malcolm said, a dangerous apple of anger hanging ripe in his voice. I said, behold, the castle, sire. Though he'd never actually seen this place when first he'd grappled with Amine, it somehow seemed familiar. There was nothing dollhouse about it. On an enormous clearing, also paved over and lined for parking, the monstrous white castle sat all shimmery with mother of pearl. From its parapets, hundreds of flags flew, all of them white, emblazoned with a lone black rose. From each of the thorns on the stems of those roses, a single drop of blood hung. Directly before them, a drawbridge was lowered over a concrete moat that surrounded the palace. Looking over the edge, Malcolm noticed it was empty. It's for drainage, Seadu told him. The queen likes her castle dry. This place is enormous, Malcolm said, looking down at the drawbridge just one step away. How am I going to find her in there? Are you kidding? Just listen for the party. I mean, look at all these vehicles. Malcolm looked back. And sure enough, the parking lot was littered with cars and motorcycles, all parked with absolutely no regard for the lines painted on the asphalt. It was a dazzling display of color and chrome, as each vehicle was of a wild design. Pipes and fenders and glass wrapped and curled and crisscrossed insanely. 
The boys do love their rides, Sandu said, smiling wickedly. As Malcolm was about to step onto the drawbridge, Sandu, matter-of-factly, said, You're not going in there dressed like that. Watch me, Malcolm spat. But as soon as he stepped onto the bridge, he found himself spectacularly attired. Told you, Sayadu snickered. Malcolm looked down to see his legs snug-fitted into white tights. On his feet, silver slippers curled at the tips, from which hung little silver bells. Around his shoulders, black fur with white spots wrapped him. He could feel the heavy crown on his head. That apple hanging in his voice over-ripened and fell as he growled, Jeans and a t-shirt. When he looked down again, he was dressed appropriately to his command. The t-shirt he wore was emblazoned with a black rose logo, and the words, Annie's Place. Seydoux was staring at the top of his head and giggling. Malcolm grabbed the crown that still sat there and threw it into the moat. Let's go, he snarled. As soon as they entered the castle, Malcolm could hear music coming faintly from somewhere. It was a gothic, heavy metal sound that he could have lived without. Trying to home in on that distant cacophony, Malcolm wandered endless halls and peered into chamber after chamber. Sometimes the music seemed to be growing louder, other times it seemed to grow faint. All the while, Seydoux tagged along, occasionally snickering into his hand. Finally, he said to Malcolm, She's not going to let you in like that. Well, I'm not going to wear that ridiculous outfit, Malcolm shot back. I don't mean your clothes. Sayadu continued. Actually, she'll love that shirt. I'm talking about your demeanor. There's a big sign hung over the entrance to her party hall that says, No bummers allowed. If you don't loosen up, you'll wander these halls forever. You might be strong enough to override the castle's dress code, but her nightclub is home turf. You won't get in until she lets you. Malcolm stretched his lips over his teeth into an awful grimace and said, There, I'm happy. Let me in. Yeah, Sayadu chuckled. That's going to work. Look, there's a little bar right around the corner. Let's go get a couple of drinks and chill for a while. As soon as you calm down, she'll let you in. Come on, you'll see. I'm not leaving this castle. Not that I could find my way out, Malcolm said, looking around at all the halls and corridors. We don't have to. The bar's right around the corner. That corner, Sayadu said, pointing just ahead. Malcolm walked around the corner Sayadu indicated, and sure enough, there was a door over which hung a neon sign. It read, The Turning Worm. A little notice tacked to the door said, Proper attire, discouraged. You know what? Malcolm said, turning to Sayadu, who had scampered up behind him. I don't drink. So just have a glass of wine, Sayadu told him. That's drinking, Malcolm said fiercely spinning and fixing Sayadu with an ominous gaze. Hey, what do I know? Sayadu said, stepping back a couple of paces. It's that or wander around aimlessly. Personally, I'm parched. The snake boy said, walking a wide path around Malcolm to get to the door. Sayadu stepped into the bar, and Malcolm followed. Several patrons lounged around the dark neon-lit room, but the place was pretty much empty. The few people that were there stayed in the shadows, but he could see they were all very thin, heroin-thin, and dressed like bikers. Behind the bar an equally skinny, but nonetheless well-muscled character stood wiping out glasses with a dirty cloth. 
He was wearing a holy t-shirt, under which he obviously wore male armor. The t-shirt read, in scrolling script, Hardly David's son. Don't tell me, the bartender said, looking Malcolm up and down. A glass of white wine. Well, all I got is red. Good stuff, she makes it from thistles. She? Malcolm asked. The queen, who else? Do I look dumb enough to buy outside the castle? Get my nuts in a vice for sure. With that, he pulled a tankard full of very red wine that looked almost thick. How about you? The bartender asked Seydoux. He's a child, Malcolm said, looking into that goblet of dark, viscous ferment. Right. And what will the child be drinking? Oh, I'm having what he's having, Seydoux said, sliding up to the bar and climbing onto a stool. The bartender chuckled and poured another tankard. Seydoux grabbed it in both hands, then turned it up until it was drained. Another one, he said to the barkeep. You don't really expect me to drink this stuff, do you? Malcolm said looking once more into his tankard. Suit yourself, the bartender said, but you sure as hell are paying for it. Drink or pound pavement, Sayadu said. It's all the same to me. Malcolm's anger was reaching a dangerous stage, and he knew it. Staring daggers at Sayadu, he lifted his draught and drank. Surprisingly, the wine was sweet and cool. When he drained the tankard, he noticed something was in his mouth. He spit it onto the bar and saw that it was a worm. Well, what do you know, the bartender said. Your drinks are all on the house. Seydoux laughed derisively and said, First time in here and he gets the worm. Talk about luck. The wine went to work on Malcolm immediately. It was heady, to say the least, and his anger dissipated, bubbling away like an Alka-Seltzer in a glass of acid. Boy, he said, shaking his head and smiling. I've been a real ogre lately. Watch your language, the bartender said. I get ogres in here all the time. Let's go, Malcolm said to Sayadu. I'm fine now. That glass of wine seems to have gotten me back to normal. The bartender laughed and said, Yeah, well, normal don't get you past the bouncer at Annie's place. Then he high-fived Sayadu while both of them laughed. Go ahead, try, but you won't get in, Sayadu told Malcolm. You may not be pissed anymore, but you still couldn't get a broom straw up your ass. Loosen up. Once again, he and the barkeep clapped hands and laughed. Hey, it's all on the house anyway, the bartender said to Malcolm, filling his tankard again. Might as well drink up. Malcolm drank that second drink slowly. By the time it was finished, he was feeling much loosened indeed. At one point, he asked if anybody had a cigarette. Yeah, right, the barkeeper told him. The castle's a smoke-free zone. You want a butt, you're going to have to go outside. But I'm the king, Malcolm said with slurry words. Then smoke him if you got him, the bartender shrugged. I think we can go to the party now, Sayadu announced, his words also slightly mushy. I'm a party animal, Malcolm said, getting up off his stool. As the two of them walked for the door, the bartender shouted, Hey, no tip? Plant your corn early this year. Malcolm chuckled over his shoulder. Asshole, the bartender said. Malcolm opened the door to exit the turning worm and let in a booming clamor of music. Sounds like we're here, Sayadu shouted over the noise. The two of them stepped out into the hall, and there, to their right, was the entrance to Annie's place.
All around the facade, gorgeous young girls hung on pretty, muscular boys. The girls were all wearing skimpy little mini-dresses that hung provocatively over their almost anorexic bodies. They all look a little bit young, don't you think? Malcolm said to Sayadu. Young? He laughed. Some of them are so old they can't remember arriving. If anybody's young, it's probably you. Though I wouldn't bet the farm on that either. Some of the girls noticed Malcolm and left their boys for something new. He fended them off as they tried to grope him. Why don't you hang on him? Malcolm told them, indicating Sayadu standing there smiling. The queen might not like that, Sayadu said, wearing a vicious grin. Unless, of course, we let her watch. The girls giggled and went back to their boys. After you, Sayadu said to Malcolm, motioning with his arm toward the door. Annie's place was all tweaked-out disco and heavy metal noise. Strobes and lasers and mirrored balls make it look like a shootout from Star Wars. The patrons danced wildly to the steel thunder music, occasionally crashing painfully and even bloodily into one another. My kind of place, Sayadu exclaimed, spinning off into the careening crowd of dancers. Malcolm was already disoriented by thistle wine. Compounded now by this dazzling light show, he felt the first stages of vertigo trying to grab him. Then all of a sudden the music stopped and the light show dimmed. A single spotlight shone down on an elevated dais at the other end of the palatial room. On an ornate throne, under that light, sat a girl. The little dress she wore was constructed all of large, oval, clear glass beads that threw the spotlight's beam around the room like brilliant daggers. When she stood, Malcolm had to avert his eyes. Then the light dimmed some, and he could once again look. What he saw was Amine. As she stepped down from her dais onto the dance floor, the revelers opened a wide path that led straight to Malcolm. The closer she came, the harder it was for Mal to restrain the moan that was in his throat. Her perfect body flowed like milk under those magnifying beads. Her face was little girl fine, pale and accented with red lip gloss and glittery eyeshadow. She walked with her head down, looking up through her lashes at Malcolm. She resembled a magnificent animal stalking him. Amine stopped very close to Mal. He could feel her breath on him when she said, Come for another little taste, Malcolm? Or do you think you might take a bite this time? When she said that, she twirled back to face the crowd, who seemed to have become her audience, laughing and applauding. She raised her arms and they roared. Who's the man? She yowled at them. Annie's the man! Long live the queen! They shouted back. When she turned once more to Malcolm, she was in such an ecstatic state of heightened ego that her ice-blue eyes fluttered beneath their eyelids. Desire and thistlewine were having their way with Mal, violent as gravity and hot as fresh-let blood. Had Amine touched him, or even moved an inch closer, he would have thrown himself at her, would have joined her under the glass she wore, and taken her. She knew this and smiled, considered it, considered asking her audience if they'd like to see just such a show. But as much as she wanted that spectacle and thrill, there was something she wanted more. She wanted revenge, and she wanted to include torment and anguish as well as rampant desire. She wanted to feast on that for a very long while, as long as she could keep it up. Once again, she turned to her audience and shouted, Where is the king? The crowd parted again like a biblical sea as that spotlight searched for the small figure making its way toward the queen. 
When the light found its target, Malcolm could see that it shone upon Seydu. I'm the king, Malcolm managed to say, though his voice sounded distant and strained. Amine heard him, spun around again, sending her glass dress swirling and clattering. You, she cried out, you can't be king, you're just a boy. When she said that, Malcolm felt some kind of pain constricting him. He closed his eyes and groaned. When it ended, he opened his eyes again. Amine seemed taller. Everything looked bigger. Please, Amine, he said, the pain having stifled his longing just a bit. Amine, she roared, interrupting him. I am not Amine here, you fool. I am Seadwe, ascended to the throne to rule with my king. Malcolm looked at Seadu, who was almost to them now. He was no longer a boy, but had grown, and was almost a man. I've come for Anna, Amine, Malcolm said. Seadwe, she insisted. Okay, Seadwe, all I want is Anna. I am queen, Seadwe announced to her crowd, as well as Malcolm. Surely I can grant such a simple request. But first you must pay homage to my king. Seadu was beside her now. Suddenly Malcolm felt that pain again, and it drove him to his knees. When, finally, it ceased, he looked up to find that Seydoux was now a full-grown man, and the knees Malcolm had fallen to were those of a child. Look at me, Malcolm, Seydoux commanded. Malcolm obeyed. What he saw was a dim and distorted reflection. Seydoux had become a dark version of himself. As Malcolm stared in disbelief, Seydoux produced a vicious grin that revealed sharp white fangs. No, Malcolm. Seydoux began. Sig doesn't stand for snake in grass. It stands for shadow is growing. And, as you can see, I've shed my baby teeth. But look at you. You seem to have grown new ones. Once again the crowd applauded and howled. Malcolm felt completely beaten. Even in this child body, his craving for Amine tore at him, even as he fretted fearfully for Anna. Struggling against these conflicting fires, he got to his fleet. Please, Amine, say Adwe. Please, say Adwe, let me see Anna, he pleaded. Of course, my little lambkin, but first come give your say Adwe a kiss. Malcolm struggled, but managed to say, no. When he did, the pain returned, and Sayadu grew as Malcolm became a little boy. Come to me now, Malcolm, say Adwe said or I shall make you a baby, an infant to fondle when I'm lonely. Malcolm went to Seadwe. The revelers had fetched her throne and she sat. Effortlessly, she picked Malcolm up and set him on her lap. You defied me last time we visited, she said to him, scolding playfully. And later, I might like to spank you for that. But for now, let me taste your sweet little lips. And then you will take me to Anna? Malcolm's tiny voice asked her. I promise to take you to Anna, she told him, in my own dear time. Then she kissed his child lips with her woman-child mouth, and Malcolm lost all thought of Anna or anything else. He was helpless in Sayadwe's embrace as she kissed and petted him into a deep and smothering torpor.
When Malcolm regained the consciousness Sayadwe's attentions had driven from him, he found himself in a very dark place. Then he realized someone was holding him, and he tried to push himself away. It's okay, he heard a soothing voice say. It's me, Malcolm. It's Anna. Anna was not so small as Malcolm, but she was a younger girl than he had known. She's doing it to you too, isn't she? he asked. Yes. I've been fighting her, but she's strong, and yours is even stronger. I cannot fight them both for long. You must battle your shadow back, Malcolm, or soon we'll both be toddlers, playthings for their amusement. I do not look forward to being tiny and defenseless, and at the mercy of those two. I know. I've been there already, Malcolm whispered. It was nothing, Malcolm, Anna said in a somber voice. They haven't even begun with us yet. They will never cease devising our abuse. Then we've got to get out of here, Malcolm told her, summoning all the resolve his little body contained. Where are we? he asked, looking around at their small empty cell and its lone door. In a chamber beneath the castle. Don't even think about trying that door. It's unlocked, but we are deep in the subterranean consciousness of the castle, and things are much disturbed. Beyond that door is a labyrinth of insanity and horror. Eventually, Sayadwe will draw upon even that place to further twist and contort her desire. We cannot escape that way. Then how? he asked her. I don't know. But if you go that way, I will not go with you, and I'll mourn you the moment you pass through that door. I guess there's no way to convince her to simply let us leave. She can't be here, neither of them can, without us, Malcolm. You brought Sayadu here with you. When I arrived, this heaven was so disturbed by my coming without you that she was able to seize control of it. When she comes for you, Malcolm, you must fight. But now, come here and rest in my arms. I don't think she'll leave us alone like this again. She only did it this time to make you believe she'll keep her promises. She won't. Do not comply with her desire on the basis of promises she makes. Malcolm curled up against Anna, and she held him like a frightened baby brother. Being with her, the feel and smell of her comforted him, and dispelled the abuse he'd suffered. Just as he was drifting off into sleep, Malcolm heard his soul's voice as if through another fog. God's speed, it was calling. God's speed. Malcolm came immediately awake and sat up with a start. What is it? Anna asked him. I'm going to get help, he told her. How will you get out? I don't think I can get all the way out, but if I'm not mistaken, I can encompass a much larger tract of here. Be far then, Malcolm, far away, Anna said. If you are far enough, you might come back to that rather than this. You could escape. I don't need to go far. They're right below this star, if they're still where we left them. Who? He and she himself. Be farther, Malcolm, please. I doubt those two will help us. It would spoil the show. Sophia will help us, Malcolm said, closing his eyes and calling up his memory of her. It returned blindingly, and tears ran from his little boy eyes until he stood before Sophia and was no longer a child. Hello, Malcolm. Sophia greeted him, toning down her beauty and thus his tears. Hello, Sophia. Again your beauty awes me, Malcolm said with his head bowed. Where is he himself? 
he asked her. Apparently you don't find his beauty as compelling as mine. He and I are still on our throne, encompassing many distances and directions. But it seems you have summoned me here also. I am unused to being summoned, Malcolm. I'm sorry, Malcolm began. Don't be silly, Sophia stopped him. It was delightful. Now, what is it you desire? Anna and I are trapped in that star, he said, pointing overhead. Do you think you could rescue us? Oh, I'm quite sure, Sophia said. Thank you, Malcolm said, sighing with relief. For what? Sophia asked. For rescuing us. I haven't rescued you. All is as it was. Well then, do you think you could, I mean, would you, please, rescue us? Now? No, Malcolm. That wouldn't play well at all. I want to see you save your anime. Save Anna. But I very much enjoyed you summoning me. And of course I must reward your resourcefulness. Come here. Malcolm stood before Sophia and watched as a single swollen tear apiece teetered in each of her eyes. With her left forefinger, Sophia retrieved her left eye's tear and touched it to Malcolm's forehead. The right tear she captured in a tiny vial. Touch this to Anna's forehead when you return, Sophia told him. What will it do? Malcolm asked. My tears are not but mirrors of tears, she told him. When they look at you, they will see themselves. If you can fool them, Sayadwe will consort with you, and Sayadu with Anna. Once you have separated them, you can drive them back and reinstate yourselves. Influence the castle, Malcolm. Clear out the dungeons. There is much you can do to restore heaven if you can fool them. Go now. Sayadwe returns for you. Paint me a happy ending, she said in a delightful, delighted voice. Thank you, Malcolm called out as she drifted away. Anna was holding him tight and stroking his forehead when he came back. You were mumbling, Malcolm, in some kind of stupor, she said as she sat up to face her. I haven't quite got the hang of that yet, I think, he told her. But look, I have something for you. Malcolm held up the little vial for Anna to see. A tear from Sophia. She's already touched me with one. For what purpose, Malcolm? We will simply be mirrors of them. Behind the mirrors will still be their thralls. That's why you have to convince Sayadu that you are Sayadwe. And this is the help Sophia gives you? She could have summoned us both into the eternal universe, but instead she gives us parlor tricks? Sophia is she himself, Anna. What good does it do to question the gifts of God? It won't be easy reflecting the manner of Sayadwe, she said. Do your best, Malcolm told her. Get jiggy with it, he laughed just as the door to their cell opened. Sayadwe herself had come for them, though in that darkness they could barely see one another. Come now, children, Sayadwe said sweetly. I think we'll have a bath. Then I've invited some friends to play with you. Malcolm could barely see her upraised hands traveling toward one another. When they met, her clap propelled them into the light of her party hall, which was empty now. She and Sayadu and Malcolm and Anna all stood beside a little pool lit from beneath its waters. Sayadu and Sayadwe stared, shocked at their mirror images. 
Thinking quickly, Malcolm hurled his body lengthwise and managed to topple all of them into the pool. When he came up from underwater, Malcolm looked for Sayadwe. Quickly, he said to her as he climbed out of the pool, they've tricked us with some kind of glamour. He held his hand out to her, and when she took it, hauled her from the pool. Then he looked at Sayadu and Anna, still in the water, and said, You're treading thin ice. Immediately the pool water froze, trapping Anna and Sayadu. They looked like glazed statues standing waist-deep in ice. That should hold them, Malcolm said to Sayadwe, who was now convinced that he was Sayadu. Come on, he continued. We need to reinforce our reign and discover how they procured that kind of magic. I fear they have allies we don't know about. We should leave the castle, Sayadwe said. I will gather thistles and brew a strong wine to subdue them. Then I think this disobedience will deserve our unrestrained attention. Malcolm smiled as wickedly as he could, feeling his lip curl over the fangs he mirrored. Yes, perhaps I will take Anna for a stroll through the depths below us, he said. Yummy, and I shall watch, Sayadwe purred. Then she threw her arms around his neck and locked him into a savage kiss. Malcolm could not escape the ache of desire it caused in him, but he was not overwhelmed. Apparently those tears were stronger than the lady had let on. In some direction and distance of here, Sophia smiled. Malcolm hadn't been sure if he could still exert influence over this heaven, but apparently Sayadu and Sayadwe had been distracted enough to allow him to do the trick with the ice. He'd purposely called for thin ice so that Anna and Sayadu could eventually escape it. Then Anna would have to work her part of the plan and convince Sayadu that she was Queen Annie. It was still a long shot, but any way you looked at it, Malcolm was sure his present circumstances were far superior to what Sayadwe had in mind for them in that pool. When Malcolm and Sayadwe came to the drawbridge, Malcolm said, I have an idea. While you're picking thistles, I'll go to the turning worm and get a cask of the last batch you brewed. We can soften them up with that, until you cook up a stronger potion. A good idea, she told him. We'll make holes in the ice to their mouths and fill them with it. Then I'll invite some guests to indulge themselves, until the two of them beg to be in our embrace alone. Let's bathe them in honey before we give them to the party animals, Malcolm said, sporting an evil grin. You have such lovely thoughts she said, touching his cheek as she left to harvest her thistles. Sayadwe disappeared into her forest, and Malcolm made his way to the turning worm. When he entered there, wearing the image of Sayadu, the bartender greeted him with a crooked grin. Well, he said, if it isn't the snake turned boy turned king, what'll it be? Fetch me a cask of thistle wine, Malcolm told him. For your guests, I'd guess the bartender said with an evil leer. I'd imagine the result would be quite distasteful should you and the queen imbibe this stuff. Yes, Malcolm said. And tell me, what was it you actually poured for me when I was here with our little ex-king? I didn't recognize it. I know, and I'm sorry about that, your highness. I need to recruit some new donors. My present staff are turning somewhat anemic, I'm afraid. The bartender explained indicating the ultra-thin patrons lurking in the shadows. Malcolm fought the revulsion that threatened to show on his face and said, Perhaps you should feed them vitamins. That's good, the bartender laughed. Fortify their iron-poor blood, what's left of it. 
Malcolm threw the cask of wine onto his shoulder. As he turned to leave, the bartender said, Hey, no tip? Plant your thistles early this year, Malcolm called over his shoulder. Asshole, the bartender muttered. Anna looked out of the shell of ice that encased her. Malcolm had left with the queen, and she knew it was her turn to act. She could hear the ringing little cracks of Seydou struggling against the binding ice. Soon he would free himself. Though Anna felt stronger since she'd been touched with Sophia's tear, Seadwe had weakened her considerably. Her strength alone would not free her ahead of Seydou. Instead of struggling, Anna began to concentrate deeply. This heaven they were in was a construct of the intellect of a star. Behind that intellect was the power, the reaction that drove the light of this place. Anna drove past the depths of her own consciousness into the atomic thoughts of the star, her star. When those thoughts were synchronous, she focused on one element, one notion, one aspect of the star with which she was joining, heat. It did not come over her as a fever, but like hot sunshine on her skin. She took that clean, fierce heat like nourishment as it radiated from her. The ice that held her was no match for it and fled down her cheeks like spring thaw. Seydou, still frozen, could not look around to see that she'd freed herself. Slowly she backed away from him and sat on the edge of the pool, just as Malcolm, still a child to her eyes, entered the party hall. He was lugging a cask on his shoulder. When he saw that she'd escaped, Malcolm ran to her. The joy of seeing her free was on his face. Anna put a finger to her lips, shushing the vocal exclamation of joy which was about to be released. Whisper, she said to him softly, pointing to the frozen back of Seydou's head. Malcolm set the cask down and ran to one of the many bars in the hall. When he'd found two large golden goblets that looked fit for a king and a queen, he went back to Anna. Free him and give him this to drink, he said, patting the cask. Tell him it's blood. Make it taste like blood to him. You can, just like I made the ice. We still have some influence here. I think it's those tears, Anna whispered. Malcolm smiled and winked. Then he uncorked the cask and filled a goblet. I'm taking this one to the queen. I think it's time these two were awarded their second childhood. Malcolm took his goblet full of thistle wine and headed back out of the hall. Before he exited, he looked back to Anna once more. She was smiling confidently and seemed to be almost back to her full height and health. Just that sight of her grew Malcolm two inches. He found the queen at the edge of the forest, pulling thistles from little mounds. Where have you been? she asked him. The turning worm. I brought you a toddy, drawn from fresh donors, all sweet and young. You're being awfully thoughtful, Seydou. I think their magic tricks have affected you. Fuck you, then. I'll have it myself, Malcolm said. I watched the donor, a lithe little thing, squirm as the barkeep drew it from her. Mmm, give it here, and help me pick these thistles. There certainly seems to be no shortage of them, Malcolm said, noting countless little mounds sprouting the spiky flowers. Of course not, the queen said, tasting blood as she quaffed the wine. I plant them here. See, this one's a bird, and this one a squirrel. Malcolm kept an evil grin, though he felt disgust and pity for her victims. Perhaps you should plant some of our subjects, he said. I've tried, 
she answered. None of them were amicable to the idea, and it causes such a row to force them. Anna stood where Seidu could see her, making herself look as fierce as she could. Cubed ice would be nice, she said, and the ice binding Seidu fell away all in little squares. Were you going to stand there frozen all day? she said to him. They've escaped, you know. They have some magic, some outside force. How else could they command here? Look around, this is ours, Seidu said, climbing out of the water. I don't know, Anna answered trying to imagine things Seadwe would say. But we must strengthen our reign. Here, I've summoned a drink from the worm. I've already imbibed and feel much better. Something so soothing about blood freshly drawn. Anna handed Seadu the golden chalice, which he took in both hands. I'd like to drink their blood, he said, as he turned up the thistle wine. Maybe a little taste now and then, Anna told him as he drank. But if you drag them toward destruction, remember... We'll be right behind. The queen was in the thistle patch plucking squirrels and birds. The blood she drank was really wine, slurring all her words. Mal was standing over her as she dropped onto her knees. Lie down, my queen, and take a nap amongst these lovely trees. When Malcolm left Queen Annie, a sycamore sapling was already sprouting up through her belly. Slow down, little fella, Mal said to the baby tree. I'm going to want her back at some point. With the queen treed, Mal headed to the castle to help Anna. But somehow he knew she was just as much in control of her situation as he was. He took his time walking back and grew a few inches on the way. The king was in the party hall, drinking with his foe, who filled his cup as he drank up and started moving slow. When he lay down, a boy in a crown with sleepy, heavy eyes, his foe said, have a nap, my king, and dream of telling lies. By the time Malcolm rejoined Anna in the party hall, Seadu was a sleeping child, curled up beside the pool. Do you think he'd drown if I kicked him into the water? Malcolm said, at least half-joking. If he did, you'd follow him eventually. He's an important part of you when he's under control. Without him, you would falter. Insanity is trying to live without all your parts. Speaking of which, I trust the queen as well. Sleeping under a spreading sycamore. Directly under, actually. We're either going to have to retrieve her soon, or build something out of her. Sycamores are fast growers. That gives me an idea, Anna said. Bring what's left of that cask of wine. I'll carry our little monarch. I'll carry him if you'd like, Malcolm said. I'm sure this cask is lighter than he is. Not a good idea, Anna told him. In his present state, he'd probably seep back into you, and you don't want him yet. Not now. Not here. He'd fight for control, and probably win. Where are we taking him? To his queen, Anna answered. It's time they both did a little communing with nature. Mal and Anna found the queen where Malcolm had left her at the edge of the forest. The sycamore that had sprouted from her belly stood a meter tall. Several other botanicals were making their way through her, including a sprig of poison ivy that grew up from her throat. Can you lift her off those plants she's growing? Anna asked. Of course. She's light as a feather. Malcolm smiled. Good. Then take her a little ways from the forest and lay her on the blacktop beside her king. 
The pavement will keep the trees from devouring them. Malcolm did as Anna proposed, and then watched as she traced, with her finger, a large circle around those sleeping forms. Where her finger touched, the asphalt separated and left a circle of dark soil. Now help me gather some acorns. No ropes or chains would hold these two in this place, but they've tormented heaven as they've tormented us, and the trees will grow an angry cage that will not bend for them. Anna planted the acorns they'd gathered into the circle of soil she'd drawn. Now water them with that wine, and the hearts she's stolen from the innocent will reinforce these trees' resolve. No sooner had they finished than a ring of saplings was pushing up around Seadu and Seadwe. The little king sleeps like a baby, Malcolm said, once again grown to his full stature. But the queen hasn't diminished much, and I have to admit her appearance still affects me. If I stood here staring at her long enough, I'd end up in that circle with her. It's the place, Malcolm. She's bent and twisted heaven to her will. We can keep them caged, but we're trapped here as well. We'll find very little joy in this place, and soon she and death will call you. I'm afraid our victory is shallow indeed. Maybe not, Malcolm said, forcing himself to look away from Sayadwe. But I think we'll need to venture into a place you sorely dread. Oh no, Malcolm, I can't. We mustn't. Deep and ancient archetypes dwell there, gone abhorrent now by the spoiling of heaven. Even in paradise we'd rarely call any of those spirits into the light. Who knows what we'd become should they overwhelm us. They're prisoners, just as we are, Malcolm said softly, lifting Anna's chin in his hand. They long to be in their rightful places, deep and dire as those might be. They are ours, Anna, just as Seadu and Seadwe are. I don't believe they could destroy us without destroying themselves. Still, Anna was not convinced. But they could harm us in ways you can't foresee, Malcolm. They could even empower us beyond our capacities to contain such magic. We threaten the universe if we go in there. It's our only way of restoring heaven, Malcolm told her, resolute now. I'll go without you if I must, but I'm not sure I can do it alone. You ask too much, she said, collapsing to her knees and weeping into her hands. Lightly, Malcolm stroked her hair. Maybe you should stay here and keep an eye on the gruesome twosome. I'll be back before you know. With a clap of his hands, Malcolm descended into that dark cell he and Anna had occupied. As he made his way to the door, he heard someone behind him. Hold me close, and do not release me in there, she said to him. Malcolm turned to see Anna, cowered and shaking, fighting her fear to be with him. I'll never let you go again, he said. In many reaches and regions of here, he and she sat smiling on their loveseat throne. He's stubborn indeed, he himself exclaimed. Don't forget her, Sophia added. Her love does battle with every fear. As soon as they passed through that door, the sounds of distant howls and moans assaulted them. The air was thick with torment and anguish. Occasionally, lights flickered like distant lightning, issuing threats. I am lost, Anna moaned. I've got you, Malcolm said, squeezing her tighter. Holding each other so close there was barely air between them, Malcolm and Anna made their way through dim corridors and vast, dark halls. In a vaulted chamber that seemed to hold slightly more light, they stopped to rest, 
as Malcolm was practically carrying Anna now. Her knees had gone so weak. Easing her down against a pillar that rose from the center of that room, Malcolm sat beside her. As tightly as he held her against him, he could not stop her shaking. In a voice that monstrous fear had touched with insanity, Anna said, They're coming. Malcolm turned her to face him, cupped her cheek in his palm. You know, I never did get my incestuous kiss, he smiled. They come, she repeated, not hearing him at all. As Malcolm brought his lips to hers, Anna's eyes regained the light of sanity, and she leaned into his kiss. As electric and filled with stultifying lust as Amine's kisses had been, Anna's was full of light and love. To say no physical call dwelled there would also be to lie, but it was a whisper against the shout of mutual love. Like cool water spreading from their lips, that kiss washed over their dread. How long they stayed in that embrace, tasting and breathing one another, is not a question that can be answered in heaven. When slowly they released each other, they were surrounded by dark shapes and eyes that shined like ancient gold. They're here, Anna whispered, though she did not shake, and her voice was sane and clear. Without any evidence of movement, the shapes closed in on Malcolm and Anna, sitting against their pillar. Malcolm rose and pulled Anna to her feet. Devour them, a harsh voice hissed as the shapes drew closer. Tormentors, defilers, they corrupt our underworld, other voices said. Not us, Malcolm protested startling himself with his own voice. It was Sayadu and Sayadwe that disturbed your rest. We come to set things right. They are you, the first voice growled. Nothing in the sound of that voice gave Malcolm any hope of persuading it. They were to be held accountable for Sayadu and Sayadwe's crimes. As he tried to hold Anna closer, in what he was sure would be their last embrace, she freed himself from his arms and went to the shape from which that dour voice had come. We will join with you willingly, she said, holding out her hand to that towering form. We will take you into the light. A startled sound came from the circle of shapes, then laughter, low and tentative. They would see us, the first voice exclaimed. We will let them see us. As Malcolm reached for Anna's hand, a blinding flash illuminated that chamber. For an instant, the mangled forms of those ancient kings and queens were burned into Malcolm and Anna's consciousness. They found themselves in a hectic landscape, where the very fabric of things seemed blown by a raging wind. Having barely found her hand before that flash, Malcolm drew Anna to him, while the place they were in swirled and waved as if painted by Van Gogh. Then they saw two figures coming out of a garden that was a fire of color, shimmering and blazing. It was they themselves who walked away from that inferno of flowers and trees and color. Then they saw that the Anna who walked there was hugely pregnant and crying out with the pain of labor. As the sound of her screaming reached them, Malcolm and Anna found themselves falling until they were caught in another torrential scene. Here a naked mass of people writhed and sweated in a tumultuous orgy. Virginal girls and scared young boys were being thrown into the mix and taken by the insentient throng. Moans of torment and twisted ecstasy rose into the overwhelming smell of intercourse until they found themselves falling again. Murders and intrigues in ancient kingdoms, wars and massacres and torture and depravity, all of this they witnessed as scene after scene formed around them. 
Malcolm could feel himself shaking, as if the very atoms of him shook. Though he held Anna to him, he felt nothing from her. No movement. No awareness. She was limp in his arms. Suddenly they were transported into that garden they'd seen themselves leaving with Anna, so very pregnant. As the wind that tore at things subsided, Anna came to in Malcolm's arms, pressed her naked flesh against his. Above them, stretched out on a tree limb, a beautiful boy said, Make a baby, you two. You can, you know, and that's reason enough. Why wait? I'm sure you can create with the best of them. Malcolm's desire was strong, but it was the beautiful boy's words that tore at him. Sex was not the sensation tempting him, but procreation, forbidden and alluring and suddenly irresistible. Plant your seed, Anna whispered. That angel has made me fertile ground. Malcolm looked up at the boy, who smiled, showing little white fangs. We have to go back to the castle, Anna, he whispered in her ear. If we don't leave now, we'll be stuck in this menagerie forever. Your very own baby, the boy cooed from his tree, born in spite of this maddeningly slow creation. You want one, don't you, Anna? Yes, she breathed onto Malcolm's lips. Fill me with a child. Malcolm lifted her into his arms, fighting the overwhelming urge to join with her and procreate. You can't undo what's already done, the boy called after them, as Malcolm walked out of the garden carrying Anna. No, I can't, Malcolm said, continuing to walk. But I'll defy you this time, you snake in the grass. Malcolm and Anna emerged from the forest, hand in hand, clothed and smiling, to find Sayadu and Sayadwe asleep in their crib of trees. They were infants now, and Malcolm saw that Anna's beauty had grown so much that it would have drawn tears from his eyes had he not grown also. Let me in, Anna said, and the trees parted, revealing the little sleeping king and queen. Take her into your arms, Malcolm, and I shall absorb our little king. Shouldn't I take him? Malcolm asked. Look at us, Malcolm, Anna said, holding up her arms and pirouetting. We are reconciled with our underworld, and much enhanced. We can guard these two for each other now, and never be ambushed again. Take her, Malcolm, and we'll restore this heaven beyond its original glory. Malcolm picked up the infant queen and held her to his chest. They're cute when they're pups, he laughed, suddenly feeling love for the child he held. Anna knelt and fetched her charge. Come to me, you little tyrant, she said, taking him in her arms. Then Sayadu and Sayadwe melted away into the love Mal and Anna offered. The forest brightened, and the blacktop became a waving field of rye. In a clearing, just inside those woods, a beautiful cottage sat, roofed with green sod and sided with twining vines of morning glory and jasmine. Heaven has come for us, Anna said, resting her pretty head against Malcolm's shoulder. There's a bed in that cottage filled with bushels of eider down. Sense of gardenia and honeysuckle caress the air. We could stay here for such a long while we might mistake it for eternity. Will you stay with me, Malcolm? Shall we be happy here, together? Together, but still apart, Malcolm said. I told you I'd never leave you again. But if you want to stay here, I'll stay with you, until death itself tears me away. But you want to keep going, don't you? Anna asked him.
some touch of sorrow weighing in her voice. There are no free samples of heaven, Malcolm answered. If we take one another onto that eider down, we'll stay, and we'll love again and again to see how close we can be. But even that close, we'll still be apart. If you'll come with me, I'll find that place where, when we join, we'll truly become one. Or I'll stay with you now, and no joy every time we try. Anna let go of Malcolm's arm and walked a few paces toward that idyllic cottage. Then she turned to him and said, Wherever else there is to go, I'll see it with you. I don't know if we'll find what it is you seek, but your stubbornness is on me like your kiss. I think we're going to have company soon, he himself said to Sophia. Perhaps you should go out and fetch some wine and cheese. I'll tidy up, she said. Will you fluff the eider down, he teased. Hurry back, she told him, smiling. It seems I have plans for you after all. We could, I suspect, spend the rest of our lives, and possibly even the rest of eternity, debating the finer theological and philosophical details of exactly what is waiting for us on the other side. Heaven or hell, God or Satan, paradise, Elysium, Niflheim, or nothing at all, and a truly enjoyable and rousing debate it would be. In all of that, save for the true materialist listening, your sandbox, by the way, is over there in the corner, and you may want to cover your ears. There are some common threads, and I would suggest that the most persistent of these threads is the idea of reconciliation. Whether the reconciliation with nature and the universe brought by enlightenment, or the reconciliation with God found through salvation, we must first become reconciled with ourselves. All of ourself. The male aspect with the female, the light with the shadow, the ego with the id. Most of our life is lived in an attempt to keep only certain chosen aspects and beat the rest back with a large, unwieldy stick. And yet we are all comprised of all of those aspects. And to deny any part of ourself, is that not a rejection of at least some part of this gift of life we have been given? What do you think? Send comments to feedback at ndstories.com or visit the website www.ndstories.com and leave a comment. While you're doing so, if you're enjoying Nil Desperandum, why not indulge your more generous aspects and leave a donation? Nil Desperandum is a production of the Bear Crawling Nation, edited and published by Jim Phillips, engineered and produced by Charles McFall and is released under a Creative Commons, Attributions, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License.